From Vine Beer's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Tito. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, I don't like giving you credit for many things. But I will tell you something which I think you'll find very interesting, which is that on the initial look at the Vine Pair audience insights data that we have, we actually are seeing a peak in rosé right now. Oh, there you go. So we're recording this podcast on Valentine's Day, and there is increased demand, according to our insights, in rosé. Well, so hopefully some marketers, hopefully some marketers listen to us and actually push their rosé right now. And hopefully you then saw an increase in sales. Again, that free uh, advice, you know, we're not asking for any compensation here, but if you want to send us some rosé, it'd be cool. Uh, but we hope you took advantage of it. I know some of you did yep. um, because you reached out to me on Instagram. So thank you very much at Adam Teeter. Uh, but yeah, man. So I, it actually, you know, you, you, you're, you were right. It only took 83 right. episodes or something. That's pretty good. I know. I think this should be. So, I, so basically I'd like to announce the end of your time on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I finally God. admitted it. <laughs> oh no. Well, it's funny because this is going to confuse, potentially confuse uh, careful listeners because we teased the addition of a third member to the uh, podcast cast. And we, we do have someone with us today, but, but I think it's fair to say that uh, our guest, although a, a wonderful contributor and someone that I personally love having on the show, is not going to be joining us on a regular basis, at least as far as I know. I don't know, Zach. Uh-oh. <laughs> More surprises coming. Kidding. Okay. Good Kidding. to know. Kidding. No, no, no. No. Our, our, new, our new third host, co-host, will be joining us uh, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But until that, we are always more than excited to bring on the amazing Kat Walensky. Or as we know, Beer Affair. Yay! What, where's, the la- where's the clap track? <laughs> Nick, come on, man. Yeah! That's right. That's right. That's right. So Kat is joining us today. Uh, and that is not just because uh, we wanted her to uh, take part. We're talking about beers. So we always feel like we have to have her on when we talk about beer. But because she is passionate about these beers, right? Or you think they're cool? About what beers? The beers we're about to talk about. Well, we're going to talk about a bunch of different beers. I thought we were going to talk about a style of beer. We are. It's more <laughs> like a theme. A theme. Yeah. Before we do that, Kat, how you, how's your Valentine's Day going? It's good. Yeah, you had someone come by the office and bring you some, <laughs> Why you bring you, bring you some orchid flowers. On the air. Because <laughs> he made yeah. all of us look real bad. My husband brought me a beautiful plant. It was very, um, very he pointed nice out of him. It was a plant and not flowers. It's an orchid. It was an orchid. It's a flowering plant. Um, I thought was that was the, so nice of him. It was very nice. He forgot it was Valentine's Day this morning, so... Oh, we don't really celebrate it, but I gave him a card and bought us tickets to the auto show. So he <laughs> felt bad. <laughs> the auto show. I wouldn't think that he'd be into the auto show. Oh, he's very into it. Really? We have to go every year. And there was a Valentine's Day discount for $2 off. <laughs> there you go. When is the auto show? In April. That's so. This is like a commitment. I mean, marriage is one thing, but like agreeing to go to the auto show and paying for it a month it's in advance. It's here is, in the city? Yeah, in the Javits Center every year. Interesting. And it's also like the same every year. <laughs> we make a day of it and it's fun. <laughs> do they do like, is it like the Hilarious. Westminster Dog Show? Is there like a best in show? Do they put the cars through their paces? No. Oh, that's boring. It's just a bunch of rooms full of cars and you uh, look at them and you're like, this one's cool. I don't know that why I never cool. would have taken 
him for being someone who's super into cars. Super into cars. Interesting. He has a lot of hobbies and interests. Is he from an area of the country where you drive a lot? Is that why? He spent his formative youth mostly in Virginia. Because uh, I take like, high school, college. Um, interesting. Yeah. I feel like if you're from California, you have to be into cars because like that's your life, right? Mm. Definitely yeah. parts of it. Like for having sure. them there. But I guess around the whole country, right? We just don't have cars, so I don't think about it. Yeah, yeah me neither. Zach has a car. Zach, what do you drive? A Prius? Uh, I have a Honda CRV, thank you, because I have a child. Great car. I figured it was one of the two. Uh, the, the, the car seat doesn't fit so well into the Prius. <laughs> See, we're, we're back to our old ways. Yeah. We're back to our old ways. I, I, I accused you. I, I admitted that you're right, and now I'm back to, you know... Well, thinking you're probably wrong about most things. We wouldn't want to make uh, we, wanna, we wouldn't want to make our listeners too uncomfortable by by turning this into a, a love fest. Exactly. Yeah. So so here's the deal. So you wrote this great article this week uh, about this this rising trend of cocktail beers and or beers being influenced by cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you want to give us a quick summary of the article for those who did not read the article on VinePair.com? Sure. Um, and then you know we can go from there. Yeah. So. I was first intrigued by this whole idea because um, a brewery near me started putting on these cocktail beer days. And and the idea from what I could gather from from attending and just trying some of the beers was that they were taking cocktail, established cocktail recipes and sort of trying to, as best they could, recreate those flavors um, and that experience in a beer. And it was interesting to me just because like, hmm, that's a, that's a sort of novel concept, at least outside of the like, you know, Bud Light, Lime Arita category. Um, and I kind of thought like, oh, this is an interesting little thing. And actually then I, I sent a question to Kat about this kind of asking like, Hey, is this, you know, is this something that's going on? Or, you know, I did a little bit of, you know, basically internet research, i.e. Googling. And I wanted, since Kat's the expert to get her perspective on whether this was even a, a trend or whether it was just sort of like a couple of places doing it. And, you know, Kat, I would be curious to get your, your thoughts on, on where you see this going, especially maybe after, um, I, you know, after reading my piece and editing my piece and doing a great job on it. Thank you. You're welcome. But I think the, 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 the thing to make note of here is like the idea behind these, these beers and, and it's not exclusive to cocktails, but that's kind of the most, um, was a, was a category I saw the most often is to do two things. One, it's to kind of give brewers a chance to try something new and exciting and to play around with a set of maybe ingredients that they don't usually get to, to use, um, you know, or at least in a different fashion than they're typically using, and also then to try and bring in a new audience. So basically, you know, in the same general way that a lot of breweries found that hazy IPAs were able to bring in a drinker who doesn't necessarily like typical beer styles, that one of the things I heard from from the brewers I talked to was that they found that part of the audience for these beers was were people who otherwise may not have ever come into the tap room or picked up uh, a bottle or a, a can of their beer because they don't like you know, Pilsners or uh, or a Stout or a IPA, but something about, but they maybe like the cocktail that this this beer is based on, whether that's a Kentucky Mule or a Blackberry Margarita or whatever, some of the other ones that um, I mentioned in the story. And and I find this fascinating, and, and it was a part of it that I wasn't surprised to hear, but was really interested that, that for these breweries of varying scales, that continuing to tap into a an audience that is not traditionally a beer audience is hugely important to them going forward. Yeah. So when you originally reached out to me, um, that was interesting to me because you were seeing these things around in your neighborhood or like in the Pacific Northwest in general. And you're like, is this new? Is this like a new thing or what's going on? Um, And it's I wouldn't say it's new. I mean, breweries have been experimental forever. And um, 
cocktail inspired beers have happened before. We've covered them before, but I do like you sending me that question was proof to me that it is happening more and that it's, it is actually working for, I mean, you noticed, right. As someone who doesn't necessarily drink beer as your first choice, you saw these things, you went to cocktail night, I'm assuming, or cocktail beer night. And then the story came out of it. So that was really cool to me because it's like a very niche thing. It's not like, I don't think cocktail beers or cocktail inspired beers are going to become like the next IPA or anywhere even close, but it's, it's good to see that this experimentation is actually reaching people who are more interested in cocktails and then like might have, you know, that creates an occasion for them to, to step into a brewery. Or maybe it should stay niche. I don't know. I'm just saying the ones I've had are pretty terrible. Hmm. Well, what, uh, I guess I won't ask what you've had, but <laughs> what was wrong with them? I feel like oftentimes <clears throat> they either come across too boozy or they are really, the flavors are very unbalanced, right? It's like you're trying to create a margarita out of a beer, right? But like the beauty of the margarita is the balance of the fresh lime juice and the uh, Grand Marnier and the, you know, high quality tequila. Like that's the beauty of a margarita. Like to, to try to, to reverse brew that is the same issue I have sometimes with honestly, like, like a gastronomy, which I also think is bullshit. This idea of like, you're going to eat a pasta that tastes like a bagel. No, fuck you. When I want to eat pasta, I'll eat pasta. When I eat a, when I want to eat a bagel, I'll eat a bagel. Like I don't, I don't need this shit. And so I feel the same way with this. Is it just like, this is just like, this is the navel gazing nature of this idea of like, I can make anything with this one beverage and it will be delicious. Yeah. And that's how I feel about cocktail beers. Like I don't, I will never seek them out. I don't think they belong in the canon of beer. Like I, for me, like let's go back to the quality of, you know, delicious gozas and saisons and pilsners and IPAs. And for me, it's just like, it's very gimmicky and I just don't, I'm not, I'm not up with the gimmick cat. I'm just not (laughs) up with the gimmick. Well, some delicious gozas are cocktail inspired. That's true too. Which ones cat? Uh, like one from two roads, part of their, tanker truck series i consider it akin to a margarita it's like salty it has lime is it is does it say that it's a margarita or does it say that it's a goza it says it's a goza oh, exactly exactly it's not but trying call, like, to claim to be a margarita right. a beer margarita but it's still in that that flavor experience is similar and can appeal to both types of drinkers no, but then we get some crazy shit in the office that's like Literally, yeah, I mean, avocado margarita with our own art on it from an article that we wrote. That's right. I'm calling you out, evil twin, for stealing that IP. But all I'm saying <laughs> is that's what happens. Yeah. It depends on the brewery. And that depends. Like, I'll say this. There are bad ones. I've had, I actually had a margarita beer um, recently that it was out of balance. It was like too salty and too sour. But it was still tasty. It was just like you couldn't really make it through the whole glass. But I feel like that's a lot of those beers with you, though. Like you'll tell me (laughs) this is you like you love. See, the thing that we have to be clear about here is that Kat loves beer. Like whenever you drink a beer in the office, she's like very excited for for the world (laughs) because we because. And so and I love that about you. But because of that, I feel like you're being a little too easy on some of these beers that like you have said in the office when you've opened them 
they're again they're interesting in theory like the, i in the same way again that molecular gastronomy is interesting in theory but at the end of the day you have a small little glass and you're like i could never drink a full one of these share it <laughs> <laughs> but like come on you're these, in the tap room you're like not that much of a beer drinker you get a flight i mean if you see that i thought flights were bad why are flights bad they're I'm annoying not. for the server i feel like but. someone took a position on that on vine pair a few years ago the flights were not the way to go i mean for someone who's not a beer drinker it's a good way to introduce yourself to a smattering of what styles what the brewery does anyway <laughs> A lot of cocktail beers are bad, but the point of the story was that this, in the experience of the writer and then this brewery and a couple that you talked to, Zach, that it was successful, yeah. right? I mean, why don't you tell us about your experience there? Was it at Lucky Brewing that you went? Yeah, so so I would say two things really really quickly and kind of in response to Adam and, and in kind of tying into this. The first is that I think one thing that, that was clear in talking to, to a few different brewers was they don't disagree with sort of either of your contentions, Adam. I mean, it is a niche thing. It's a hard thing to, you know, uh, several brewers I spoke to said, you know, they've kind of kept these things in the tap room only because they feel like the beer doesn't travel well. You know, when you're using fresh ingredients, it can be really hard for um, those sort of fresh flavors to pop, uh, you know, some point later when someone opens a can. Um, and that's, and that's a, you know, that's a, a concern if you're putting your name in on, on a product and shipping it, you know, even if it's just locally, let alone to other parts of the country. So, so you do have to kind of find a balance where you can make, if you're going to try and turn a cocktail beer into a larger part of your program, I think a lot of these producers are not that interested in doing that. Or if they are going to, it's going to have to be maybe one specific recipe that they feel like can, you know, stand up to bottling or canning and being on shelves for a while. I also think, you know, this is part of the reason why this story was so interesting to me was it is part, I feel like, and this is what I would love to get, Kat, your perspective on. It is part of this larger trend that is engulfing brewing, which is basically like, are we refocusing brewing to make beverages for people who don't like beer? And obviously, we've talked about this a million times with hard seltzer, but I think it's an incredibly important part of this. I think, you know, in talking to brewers for this story, several of them referenced, you know, sort of the hazy IPA trend in their own initial sort of hesitancy around it because they felt like the beers didn't really taste like beer in the way that they'd originally been, you know, sort of conditioned to think of beer as. And it is this really fascinating question, right? Like if you own a brewery, and and in the case of Lucky Envelope, I think this is a, a perfectly good example. They own a brewery in Seattle. They're surrounded by several, by a number of other breweries that are very, very close by, which are better known, larger, make more beer, sell more beer, and are more widely distributed. And I don't mean to say one way or another how successful they are. I, I mean, I get the sense that they're doing okay. But but for them, there's this real tension of like, okay, we find that doing, or at least I sense this tension. They didn't say it overtly. But, you know, we find that doing these cocktail beers and having these cocktail beer nights, or they also do tea house beer nights, um, which where they make beers with, with various tea uh, ingredients or flavors. And the idea is, okay, this brings in a different crowd for us. But to some extent, is there an issue there where are you now, like, if you're making you know, it's beer. I think I think it would be un, un, inarguably beer, but it's definitely not a traditional beer style. It's not Adams Goza or Saison. It's not a Kolsch or a Pilsner or something that, you know, that would be recognizably beer um, on a, you know, 15, 20 years ago, in, at least in terms of categorizing. And, you know, is that what, what the future is for a lot of these breweries? Is it making things that are going to appeal to a broader audience that isn't just interested in classic beer styles well executed? Or... 
is this inherently only going to be a short-lived gimmick and these people who are interested in these cocktail beers or tea house beers now are in a year going to be on to some other thing that may not be beer related at all and, and no one knows and that's part of the interesting thing for me about this but i do think it's part of this larger issue that's confronting the beer industry right now i don't think it's a refocusing i think it's another focus as there are now upwards of 7,000 breweries in the country and everyone is super competitive, even on the local level. You just, um, it's, it's difficult to stay afloat. So necessity. Yeah. It's not like now we're totally abandoning our original plan to only brew lagers and we're going to do cocktail beers. It's more like, let's like do a pilot batch of something. And then if we like it and people like it in the tap room, maybe we'll scale it up. Like, Let's try this thing and maybe we can develop that as like an experimental series or something that's rotating. Like one of the best beers of 2019 via Vine Pair was Cerebral Brewing's Forbidden Idol, which is a series of tiki cocktail inspired beers. And um, the one that we picked was made to taste like a Mai Tai. And it did. And it was actually really good. Like we all tasted it and people were surprised that it was like, dope and one of the most memorable beers we had of the year yeah okay fine <laughs> i would also say don't come don't come for hazies only <laughs> only because i find that there are some people still in the beer world that are anti-hazy for the most part a lot of brewers especially the younger brewers i talk to love them and find that they're a very one of the best vehicles for purely expressing hops mm-hmm. and so like if people are like now and really obsessed with all these different strains of hops and where they come from and who's making them all this stuff. Hazies to them are, you know, a way to, to basically express in a very clear way, those aromatics and all the flavors they bring um, for geeks. So I think that that's a different area, but for me, like the cocktail beer is, is a category that comes out of, I need to make sales, right? Like I, there needs to be another way to be, bring people in in the same way that like that's, we all know that's how seltzer started. Right. So I don't think anyone ever expected seltzer to be as big as it's become. Now it's massive. But in the beginning it was like, okay, like what are we, what are we making? Right. I mean, Bon and Viv, the original, we're going to have a podcast about hard seltzer. So I don't want to give too much away. It's coming very soon. Um, but you know, the original now spiked seltzer, uh, you know, w- was coming out of really the craft boom, right? The craft movement and trying to find other things to serve to people in the tap room. Um, because again, like you have this captive audience, like what do you do? And like, look, we, we had a, a pretty, I think in certain markets where you're allowed to serve other things, you have other options, right? So for example, like we were at threes recently as a staff and you know, the owner, Josh Dalman, I don't think would, would fault us for, for recounting his tale, which was like, look, when they first opened, they thought that like, because they were a craft brewery, they should have a bunch of craft spirits behind the bar. Cause they legally are allowed to have spirits and wine as well through their license. Right. I think there's a lot of breweries that can't do that. If, if you are operating a tap room, all you can do is sell your beer, but for them, they were, they're allowed to, and no one bought them. And then when they brought on this new bar manager, she was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Uh, <laughs> if people are here and they're not drinking beer, they want Jack, Johnny, Jameson, Jamo, and like 
basically like box wine. Like that's, that's what they want to drink if they're not here to drink your beer in your tap room. And she overhauled their program and now people who come who don't want to drink beer are happy because, and, and they keep more people in the tap room because everyone is just trying to figure out a way to keep people in the tap room because you make more money through the tap room than through anything else. Um, so, I mean, I, I can understand why they're doing it. I just still find them personally to be super, super gimmicky and I don't really want any part in them. I won't send you my Negroni beer. <laughs> oh, please don't. Um, so just a quick anecdote. When we were at Threes, something that we talked about a lot in terms of their beer is ingredients and yes. having fresh ingredients, local ingredients, real fruit. It's something that they're passionate about and focused on. Um, but something interesting that happened was they described one of their beers as tasting like a strawberry daiquiri. It was one of like 10 descriptors on the menu. And it's, it was not made to be a strawberry daiquiri. I don't even know if there were strawberries in it, but it caught the attention of so many of our staff members. And it turned out to be one of their favorite beers of the night just because they saw that signifier of like, oh, I like a strawberry daiquiri. I understand what that tastes like. Therefore, I want to try that beer. And they did, and they loved it. And now they love that beer. And now they actually care about threes. So I think that's a different thing, though. I think that's a different thing. I think they use what we've talked about a lot on this program, which is they use accessible tasting notes so people could understand what this actual beer that they were making could taste like, right? Because what was the beer again? It was a it's the same philosophy. Was it, it was, a saison um, or was it an IPA? It was a it was a um, sour beer. It was a sour. It okay, was the Pluco, I believe it was the one that was plum and apricot. Right, um, but they didn't call it the three strawberry. Like where I'm coming for people is what is the breweries that are like this is my old fashioned beer. Or this is the this is our version of the Manhattan, and there's people who are doing that, and that I'm not about. That I'm not into. People who are trying to like literally create beers and call those beers the names of cocktails, like the X Brewery, you know, Hemingway Daiquiri. That I'm not. I'm not with. I'm not interested in. I'd rather go get a perfect Hemingway Daiquiri at a at a great cocktail bar. I'm down though with a brewery that brews a beer and calls it by its actual names. This is our, you know fruited sour and in the tasting note says by the way you're going to get flavors that remind you of a strawberry daiquiri that's fine with me but you see threes didn't go there and say because they're awesome didn't go there and say like yo this is our strawberry daiquiri sour that's that's where i feel like it becomes gimmicky they instead just use accessible tasting notes they had another uh tasting note on those beers last week that was a that ipa in which they said they tasted like orange tic tacs and it (laughs) did yeah, and I was yeah. like, wow, I actually got those flavors. Thank you for using things that I'm familiar with. They didn't go super esoteric with their with their tasting notes. That's different than saying this is our orange Tic Tac IPA, right? I think it's in a similar philosophy, though. I mean, three uh, has the benefit of being awesome. But, but some of these other like, breweries that are doing it are also awesome. Right. But it's like, uh, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but it's just easier marketing. Yes. To call the thing the name of the thing. It's easier for people to understand. And I understand that. I just find it gimmicky. <laughs> well, I guess I won't have to share with you. That's fine. That's cool. Please don't. <laughs> I also don't want to get your germs. Oh, well, you can have your own glass, man. Come on. <laughs> also, I don't know how you would ship it to me. I think that's illegal, technically. Yeah, that's a good question. We'll deal with that on another episode. I do think at the end of the day, these beers are, are definitely worth trying. Because you have to decide, are you 
somewhere in the middle, like Zach, are you, you know, here for them in a certain way? Like, can you appreciate them in the way that Kat does? Or are you just like out, outright anti like me? I think they are worth trying. Um, because I, I wouldn't have thought this if I hadn't tried a few of them and then been like, look, these just don't work for me at all. You know, I think that's the point of everything in, in, in this world of drinks is like, you should try them before you say you hate it. Right. Um, and now I've tried it and I hate it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> And with that, Kat, thank you so much for joining us yet again. It's always great having you. It's a pleasure. I hope you have a lovely Valentine's Day. And I hope you enjoy the car show in April. Maybe we'll have you back on before then. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) And Zach, I hope you've got planned whatever you got planned tonight. Lots of work, man. It's a long night ahead. I'm sure. Oh, you're. Oh, that's right. Because you're at the. You're. You're on the floor. Yep. Whoo. Godspeed. I bought new shoes, so that's that was my big splurge for myself. That is, it's, this is like this is like a rough night all around in the industry, isn't it? it it's a long one. Well, I'm hoping you. I'm I'm, I'm wishing you the best. Uh, have a great night when you get home. Um, you know, and and be strong for all those lovers and wannabe lovers out there. <laughs> I'll try. All right, everyone else. Thank you so much for listening to the Vine, pa- Vine Pair Podcast. And you keep drinking those cocktail beers, Zach. <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> Thank everyone else for listening. Uh, as always, if you like the show, uh, give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really helps people discover the show. And we will see you all right here again next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. Now for the credits. The Vinepair Podcast is produced by myself and Zach Jabal and is engineered by Nick Patry. We're recorded out of Cloud Studios in Seattle, Washington, and also in our New York City headquarters. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair staff who help us conceive of the show every single week. Thanks again for listening.